the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all of your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Well, morning church. Um, great to have you here with us, particularly if you're visiting Canterbury Gardens Community Church. We are wrapping up our short of it series by looking at this little short little letter. But before I begin, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we come before your throne. We come with our hearts and we continue this time of worship to hear what you're saying to us, not just individually, but also the community. Lord, I pray that you would drown out the noise that may be going on in our hearts and thoughts and engage with us through your word, through your spirit. And even this morning that we may uh, walk away knowing more of who you are, more of your truth. In Jesus' name. Um, I want you to imagine if you, as part of your New Year's resolution, decided that you're going to go and get a gym membership. And part of that is you've decided to go to a PT session or a personal trainer session. You rock up to this gym, and as you arrive there, you're sitting down, uh, and they said, look, your personal trainer will be with you in a moment, and you're on the phone just looking at what's going on, and maybe you put up a status update at the gym, New Year's resolution, hashtag, and so on. And you hear a voice, and you hear your name, and you look up, and here is a man walking towards you, and he doesn't actually have a six-pack, more of a keg. And he comes to shake your hand. As he's about to shake your hand, he's in one hand, he's also holding a can of Coke. And you think to yourself, oh, this must be one of the assistants. And uh, he turns around to you and says, hey, listen, uh, come with me. Uh, we're going to start our personal training session now. And so you go along. And he, and he puts you through your limits. He pushes you. 
And while you're sweating away and wondering if this was a good decision or not, he's sitting there with a can of Coke still sipping away and he pulls out a chocolate bar and eats. And then he starts uh, telling you in between the breaks that it's not just about exercise, it's about diet and what we need to eat. What we, uh, uh, and, and you're thinking to yourself a few things. One, that's the last time I'm going to get one of those discount vouchers on the web. Two, something doesn't match. Something that's not quite right here. Something doesn't match with this person who calls himself a personal trainer. His lifestyle doesn't match this truth in some sense he believes. See, uh, this book is probably one of the um, smallest uh, letters in the New Testament. It is the smallest letters. There's about 239 words in this letter. I want you to imagine it like rather than a letter, it's like a little postcard that you get in your mailbox from someone. John is addressing a few things. He's actually, uh, as a pastor, as a leader, he's a leader of leaders. There's minor issues going on with the church, and we're sort of uh, zeroing today in 2016. We get an idea, but we don't get all the details of it. But along with that, there's also commendation towards the end of it. So this guy, John, he's the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. And he's writing to a particular person. He's writing to a guy called Gaius, who probably was a Roman gentleman. Then he addresses about another guy called Diotrephus, and then Demetrius. Now, this is the moment in history when this letter is written, or this postcard, where uh, Jesus is risen, he's physically risen from the dead, he's gone to heaven, he sent his disciples, the apostles, they're planting churches, reaching people, all the corners of the earth are trying to be reached at that time. But along comes some dodgy teachers. Guys uh, who proclaim the truth, but they're actually not proclaiming the real truth. They're watering it down, they're changing it, they're shifting it. And along with that, there were people who were coming along who were sort of um, uh, actually abusing the hospitality of Christians around there. And so they were, in some sense, given these endorsement letters, if you want to call it. Uh, it's like to say, a commendation, say, this person, we, they, we, they believe in the real truth. I commend them to you. I remember when my parents and my family, we migrated here to Australia. We arrived in a little gospel chapel in Glen Waverley. And I remember my dad giving the elders of that church a little letter, a commendation letter. And they read it out to the church. Now, this is all going on in the background of this letter. But I don't know if you heard, as Nat was reading it, there was a particular word that was constantly repeated throughout all of it. Have you picked it up? The word truth truth it's constantly said it's constantly mentioned now when you think about this idea this philosophical idea what is truth there's many ways you can come around to it right there is that idea that well truth is based on sometimes perception if i said to you that the hawthorne football club is the greatest team in the universe i know many of you will say amen brother, amen, brother. thank you <laughs> i hope they recorded that that was awesome um now, that's obviously perspective, right? Now, but this idea of truth, and in particular, an idea of an absolute truth, particularly in our day and age, is constantly being challenged. I remember that uh, when you did evangelism training back in the 80s and 90s, there was this idea of putting across a proposition or an idea of a truth. This is the truth. And you discuss it and argue it. But that's changing now. There's this constant a thought that's going around, well, truth, it's really what you make it, isn't it? 
I don't know if they still have these. They used to call them choose your own adventure books. It's that kind of idea of truth that you just, yeah, it's really up to you what you make of it. And I think sometimes it happens even in the Christian world and the Christian culture. I know I've done this a few times in Bible studies. Oh, well, based on I think personally, this is what it says. We all, in some sense, this idea of truth, we tend to challenge it. This guy who's writing this letter, John, is basing this idea of truth based on an absolute, most glorious and wonderful truth. See, if you rewind back a little bit, he writes the Gospel of John. And we're going to come to that, and I want to mention that in a sec. But what John is doing in this moment is he wants to talk about truth. He wants to address some issues, but he's clearly saying to everyone here, Hey, listen, this truth should shape all of your life. And that's what we're going to explore a little bit this morning. Does the truth shape all of your life? And I want to leave us with some questions to ponder as we head into this week. So, uh, first up, straight away, this idea of truth, I want to make it very clear because I don't know all your background. Do you actually know the truth? Do you really know it? And what is this truth that John is talking about? As I mentioned, this same author penned another gospel. It's called the Gospel of John. It is one of the most significant gospels when you're sort of trying to wrestle with Jesus being God. And he makes this amazing statement. He records down Jesus' conversation with his disciples. And you can find it in John 14, if you want to turn there, in verses 1 to 6. The disciples are anxious. Jesus talks about he's going to be leaving them. And they're a bit worried, and they're wondering what's going to happen. He actually says, look, I need to go. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they think it's a physical place at the time, a physical place here there on earth. Jesus says, you can't come where I'm going. And he says, well, ha- there's a guy called Thomas. He says, ha- Lord, we not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And he's talking about a geographical thing. And Jesus gets the heart by proclaiming an absolute truth. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus radically makes an absolute truth statement. He's saying, listen, Jesus is not hiding anything, friends. He's not sitting back and going, well, you know, you can get to God this way, that way. No. Jesus is saying, if you want to be in a relationship with the creator of the universe, with with the Father God, if you want to be in a relationship with him, there's only one way. There's no other way. That is through him. And Jesus is saying, that is the truth. There's no back roads to getting to God. It's not about doing some good stuff and eventually God accepts you. No. Jesus is saying that he is the only way, that he is the truth. And he is the life. Now, like I said, I'm not sure what your background is. And maybe you have never had a relationship with Jesus. I want you to know that you cannot have a relationship with Jesus, with God, the creator of the universe, unless you go through Jesus Christ. You need to get to know him. You may have been told, truth is what you make of it. But Jesus actually says, if you want to know what is the greatest, better, most glorious and wonderful truth, he is the truth. 
Because if you're knowing Jesus, you actually get to know the creator of the universe. So, do you know him? Now, here's the thing. When you know this truth, and when this truth comes into your life in a relationship with Jesus, and when you become a follower of Jesus, this truth now reorientates, reshapes, changes everything in your life and every aspect of your life. I remember growing up in the Christian church. I grew up in a Christian family. I was very blessed to grow up in a Christian family. I went to a Christian school. I went to youth group. I was that annoying kid that knew all the memory verses and would correct people when they were wrong. I was that kid. But see, I sort of knew the truth that God died for my sins and I give my life to Him. But there was a disconnect. And that disconnect was that truth was not shaping all of my life just on Sundays and when I rock up to a small group. And so now, this gospel message that John is talking about here, he goes into saying the truth. Now this truth reshapes everything. Now I don't know what your view of the gospel is. I don't know if you thought that the gospel just means something that you believe and that's it. No, it goes further than that. It reshapes everything. Because I'll tell you something. If the gospel is just a little message that you believe and you get your ticket to heaven, there is no point to all of the New Testament letters. Because if you think about it, the New Testament letters are addressed majorly to Christians. And in this passage, John is actually addressing a Christian. He's addressing a leader of a church. This is someone who knows that Jesus died for his sins. This is someone who knows that Jesus raised again on the third day. This is someone who knows that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But this is someone now, has this truth reshape everything about him. And in particular, reshaping his relationship with other people. And even in the context here, you see in the first start where John is writing to Gaius. He's not just writing to, hey Gaius, church pastor over there. No, he says, my brother. It even reshapes his relationship because John has a relationship with Jesus. That reshapes his view of Gaius. He doesn't just see Gaius as some other guy. He sees that Gaius believes the same truth as John. In light of that, Gaius is a brother in Christ. And this same truth now reshapes Gaius. To the point that it causes Gaius to be generous. To generous to those that are coming into his ministry field, who are doing God's work. And notice also what John is addressing in the starting few sentences. See, John is enthralled by something. He is encouraged by something. He's not saying, hey, hey, guys, it's really encouraging to hear what's happening in your church. It's awesome that your attendance in your church has really gone up. It's awesome that all these ministries are starting up. It's awesome that uh, your offering has even gone up. Now, what does he rejoice greatly when he talks about guys in verse 3? For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. This is what is capturing John's heart and this is what he's encouraged by when he hears about this leader and this pastor. 
See, this idea of this truth is so massive in that it is far bigger and greater and more glorious and beautiful because it is like saying when the truth of the gospel comes into your heart, when the truth of the gospel comes into your soul, it's like it's a marinade that goes deep and deep and deep and goes to every part of the marrow of your souls and invades all aspects of your life and shapes how you live. It should shape how you live. Now, do you see how this is different from just a moral exhortation? To try harder. Brothers and sisters, this is far better than that. This is far more beautiful than that. Because there are many so-called truths out there. There are many so-called truths out there that call out to you to say, Hey, try harder. Do better. They're all moral exhortations. But this truth of the gospel, this grace then starts changing you, your inner being, and ultimately obeying God doesn't become some sort of moral act. It actually says, no, this is an opportunity for me to worship God. This is me submitting to this truth in me because this truth has set me free. I'm no longer a slave and a lot of that I do God's will. And friends, we saw that in the life of Jesus, didn't we? This truth, in some sense, he is the truth. He is the life. But it shaped all that he did to the point of death. Now, if you've been at Canterbury Gardens Community Church for a while, I want you to know, as best as we can, every Sunday when we gather, we will proclaim the gospel every week. The reason why we endeavor to do that is, as pastorally, we have a deep concern. And one of the concerns is that the gospel truth becomes information to you. Or it becomes information for those people out there. Those people who really need it. So Jesus addresses this often in his ministry. And one of the greatest stories that he ever said was the story of the prodigal sons. There's the elder brother and the younger brother. Two brothers. Both of them knew the truth. The love of that father. And one says, nope, I'm off, see you later. He comes back in the hope to find affirmation again with his father. But the father forgives him. Amazingly forgives him. But then there's the story of the elder brother who's been there trying so hard. Doing all the right things. And he's ticked off his younger brother has been forgiven. And that story is really pointing out... This idea that in, even in our context, even today, there are these sort of people that constantly in our churches, the elder and younger brothers, and they both need to be reminded often about the truth. So friends, when we encourage you to proclaim God's word, when we ask you to read God's word, there's nothing to do about just being a good Christian. The reason why we encourage you to read God's truth is because we want you to be captured by Jesus. The reason why we encourage you to be involved in the church and be serving and, and serving God all across the world for His purposes, for the kingdom, is nothing to do so that somehow you become a better Christian. It's because we want you to proclaim that truth and we want you to let this truth invade every aspect of your life. This means also that when there is conflict and fights in churches and bitterness, when you and I meditate on the truth, there is no way that we can let that happen. We need to become ministers of reconciliation because that's what God did with us. So is this truth shaping you? Do you really know this truth? And when you look at this passage here, 
You see how John is constantly coming back to that truth. He's mentioning that truth. You know this truth. You've heard of this truth. You believe in this truth. And it's shaping all of him. To the point this guy is being generous. You see that in verses 9 to 11. Where uh, this, uh, sorry, not 9 to 11, previous verses, you see how guys, he's been encouraged. He's being generous to people that he's probably not even met. All he knows is that these people know the truth. But then you have an opposite that's shown in verses 9 to 11. There's this guy called Diotrephus. Uh, it seems that, in many ways, if you're going to use our terms, he's playing pay- favorites. And not only that, he's actually doing something significant. What he's doing is that he's questioning the pastoral authority of the leaders, such as John. See, what's going in the heart of this man is much more than he's just saying, no, I'm not going to listen to you guys. He's actually not letting the truth that he says he believes in shape how he lives, and particularly in the context of submission. See, it seems that this guy, his world, his leadership has become about him. It's about his opinion, his truth, and to the point that he actually becomes abusive with his authority that has been given to him as a leader. You see in the verses what he does. He, he, he's actually not even going to let, being generous to these people who are coming, who are proclaiming the truth of the gospel. He gets to the point where if anyone else welcomes these people, he excommunicates them. Talk about a power trip. Because what's going on with this gentleman is that his heart has been changed. He has forgotten the truth. It's become about him. The truth of the gospel is not shaping him anymore. And John actually goes further in verse 11 where he says that if, if you're doing the same, you're actually doing evil. That is a pretty challenging thing to ponder on. And he actually says, don't imitate it. Imitate what is good. What is good It is the truth. That truth should shape how you live. That truth should shape how you're generous. Even people that you don't know. And in this context, does that truth shape how you respond to people who are in spiritual authority over you? This guy is struggling with this authority. He's struggling to avoid it. He'd rather be in the driver's seat. He's in the chief place. He's refusing to support faithful gospel ministers. But in light of that, he's actually not submitting to a greater authority. And that is Jesus Christ. He's not letting this authority shape his truth, the truth that he knows, to the point that he's actually ignoring what John is asking him to do. Now, friends, you see how the gospel message is much more than just this story about Jesus dying for your sins. It's very true, but it's much bigger, it's much deeper, it's far more glorious. Because when Jesus comes into your life, he comes in and he invades every single space and he starts peeling away. And in this passage, there's an issue of authority. Now, 2016, what about Aussies? We love authority, don't we? As Australians, we are probably well known for not liking a lot of authority. Putting it simply, if you go to an AFL game, have you ever heard when the umpires come on the field, have you heard everyone going, yeah, we love you guys? We struggle with authority. What about if we translate it into the church? Now, I understand there are people from different backgrounds here. Maybe you've come from a church background where 
people who were in spiritual authority over you who abused you with that authority. I'm sorry if that happened to you. I'm truly sorry if that happened to you. But I think in general we struggle with authority. I remember sitting over where my parents are. Sitting there and often I would be sitting there before I became a pastor at this church. I'd be sitting there and there was a gentleman by the name of Keith Glasgow who was effectively the senior pastor of this church. And when he would be preaching and talking about different things, I'd have these kind of remarks in my head. Oh, I would have said this. Oh, I would have preached it this way. Why didn't he use this illustration? Oh, if I was running this church, oh, I'd be doing this. And God in his sense of humor, <laughs> oh, grace, puts together a team of people to be part of this church. And I remember seeing Keith many years later, I had to repent with him. But friends, when we think about spiritual authority, what is your view? How does that impact? Is the truth of the gospel shaping your submission to spiritual authority? I think sometimes in churches we may have people who love to lead, and that's great. We want to raise more leaders, but they find it very hard to follow. And you might be a really good leader, but are you following? Are you ultimately following Jesus? And are you also following people that God has placed in spiritual authority over you. Now, this guy, John, is specifically telling this guy who's not doing something, a specific thing. It would be like, um, and I understand, I, I was sort of sitting there going, what would, I, what would be my response? What would be my response if uh, the Pope of our denomination, we don't have a Pope if you're wondering, but if we did, send me a letter and say, hey, Shabu John, on the last Sunday of every month, the offering that comes through, that money, every single cent of it, I want you to give it to the Baptist church across the fence there. What? Who are you to tell me? Friends, pride is a sinful thing. And it can creep in very easily. But see, if the truth of the gospel is shaping it, ultimately you should be going, no, I'm going to submit to God. And in light of that, I'm submitting to these people who are in spiritual authority. I want you to know the Canary Gardens Community Church elders and pastors do not take our role lightly. We do not take it ro- our role lightly. And I would encourage you that if you're struggling with the leadership at this church, come and talk to us. But I also encourage you to listen to the one who's calling you to submit to him. And in light of that, submit to the leaders that God has placed over you. And if you desire to be part of a a leadership team in this church, if you want to be an elder or maybe even a pastor, can I plead with you to work through these issues first? That you are submitting to the one who is calling you to be captured by that truth. And in light of that, submit to the one that God has called you to submit to. And friends, if you are a prayer, if you want to know how to pray for us as a leadership, we would deeply covet you praying that the elders and pastors do not, one, water down the truth of the gospel, two, do not lose sight of the all wonder and majesty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if that is shaping us, by God's grace we pray that we will lead well. In light of that, you'd be willing to follow. So, the question again, is the gospel truth shaping you? Is it shaping how you're generous to people in this context? Or is it shaping all of your life? I was just sitting here and listening to Jason and Kim share about their ministry. Do you know that Jason can easily 
probably get a good job as a pilot here in this country. Kim could, as a teacher and her qualifications, could get a fairly significant job. What would make a couple to go across the place that they could get malaria, maybe even dengue fever, and even the, the um, was it the roosters? That would drive me crazy. But anyway, um, what would cause them to do that and even take their little son along with them? Friends, it's because the gospel truth has captured their hearts. And it reshapes everything. Does that gospel truth reshape everything about you? Is it reshaping you? Or is it shaping at least some things? Maybe only on Sundays. Maybe when you gather as a small group. But is it reshaping every moment, every day? And in light of that, this is a prayer for, from us as leaders to you. Canary Gardens Community Church, we want you to know that we deeply love you as a leadership team. And we want you to be making great impact for the kingdom here and around the world. But we want you to know there's a deeper cry for us. A much deeper cry for us. That you will continue to be captured by this gospel. That we will hear, that, that there will be no greater joy for us to hear that you are walking in this truth. That is our prayer. That is our constant prayer. So once again... Is this truth shaping all of your life? Do you actually even know this truth? If you don't know this truth, can I invite you to come and talk to us? We'd love to talk to you and share with you. I remember when you're thinking about leadership here, are you struggling and maybe you're wondering how to work through that? Come and chat to us. And in light of that, I want to leave some questions with you as we wrap up and reflect on this truth. So this week, as you head into this week, if you want to wonder how you can marinate in the gospel truth, some simple things to consider. One, cut out the noise. Cut out the noise, get aside an hour, half an hour this week, and ask this question. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ, this truth, is it shaping my work? Is it shaping my stage of life, singleness, marriage? Is it shaping how I raise my kids? Is it shaping how I study? Spend some time asking that question with God. Two, remind yourself of these truths. I love the epistles uh, in particular because straight away what, what Paul does is he goes, here's the gospel truth. He talks about it and then he goes, therefore, in light of this, stop doing these things. So here's something simple to do this week. Pick an epistle, read the start of it, pray through it, remind yourself of the gospel. Secondly, outside of scripture, here are some three things that really deeply impacted me. Three books. One, The Prodigal God by a guy called Tim Keller. It is the story of the, the two sons in the prodigal son story. Read them. Read that book. It's a very short book if you like. If you struggle with reading, you can get an audio version of it. Two, if you want to get a little bit more media, there's another book called Explicit Gospel by a guy called Matt Chandler. And he unpacks it a bit more deeper. I encourage you to get through that. And if you want to get really, really meaty and you love theology and big words, there's a book called The Gospel at Center. Uh, And it's written by D.A. Carson, Tim Keller, and John Piper. There are three authors who've impacted this book. And what they do is they unpack what does it really mean about the gospel. And then finally, reflect on this week 
when you think about the leadership of Canterbury Gardens Community Church, is that truth shaping your response to us? And in light of that, would you pray for us? And in light of that, I'm going to invite the music team. We're going to sing this song that we sang, the creed. It's a simple way for us as a church to be reminded of the truth. Can I invite you as we sing this song to sing with conviction, with great joy and be rejoicing in the truth, this truth of the gospel that has saved us and changed us and is impacting us. Thanks, team.